the last I am statement, which is found in John chapter 15. And like Josh said, perhaps this is the least well-known of the I am statements. Uh, Some of the others are are very popular. I am the bread of life and I am the resurrection. Those are probably two of the biggest. But this one uh, sometimes maybe gets neglected. But yet I think there's a great deal of of importance to this one. I think that Jesus teaches us a, a great and magnificent truth And so I want us to see that tonight. So we'll look at the first eight verses. So follow along with me as I read. Beginning in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful this evening for this I Am statement that John records from the mouth of Jesus. And God, we ask this evening that you would be our instructor, that your Holy Spirit would be convicting us of sin and pointing us to Jesus, our great Savior. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, about eight and a half months ago, I became a father. Sam became a mother. And one of the things that happens, as many of you all know, if if you become a parent, you are soon filled with endless sermon illustrations. And so, as I was thinking about what Jesus says here about being a vine and and us being branches, I was trying to think about another way that I can understand this relationship. And so the first thing I thought of was my son Graham. And so, one of the ways that that, that Graham is similar to, to this here is that he is absolutely, completely dependent on Sam and I to stay alive. More so Sam than myself, but there's a sense in which if we were to just walk out and just leave him, he can't survive on his own. He does not know how to get to food. He does not know how to clean himself, to um, do really any of the basic things that is necessary for survival. And so I also thought about just the nine months that he spent growing in the womb. The umbilical cord, if that's not attached to both Graham and the placenta, then guess what? He does not survive. Those things are essential to survival. And so as we think about the relationship between Sam and Graham and how apart from her and myself that he does not survive, we also are given a similar picture by Jesus. Jesus is giving us this illustration or word picture, if you will, to help us understand and to help us see how essential our relationship with Jesus is. 
And so I want us to think about that in context of a mother and a child relationship. Because we can talk about a, a vine and a branch, and we see dead, dead branches and dead vines all over the place. And so maybe we don't think that being a dead branch or being a dead vine is that serious. But if we think about it in the context of a human being and a human life, it just seems so much more weighty to us. But I want us to see that what Jesus explains here to us in this, this vine imagery is absolutely a very weighty passage. And so what I want us to do is, there's really three things that I want us to see tonight. The first is that the Christian's complete dependence upon Jesus for all things. It's the first thing that we're going to look at. The second thing I want us to see is that faithfulness in the Christian's life is tied to prayer. Sorry, not faithfulness, fruitfulness. But faithfulness can be interchanged. And then three... How does connection to Jesus make us fruitful? That's the, that's the final question that I want us to answer. But first, I want us to look at the, the Christian's complete dependence on Jesus for all things. So let's just start reading the passage and, and walking through it and understanding what Jesus is saying. So Jesus begins by saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So here, Jesus equates himself to a vine... Whereas his father is the vine dresser. Or you could also translate this word to be the farmer. He's the one who's taking care of the vine. He's doing the work, cultivating the vine. Jesus then says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So now there's something important in verse 2 that I want us to see. And that is the goal of the Christian life is to bear fruit for God. The goal of the Christian life is to bear fruit for God. If if we want to take this vine imagery to the next step, you would think about why would anyone plant a vine? Probably because you're hoping to get some sort of fruit in return. My mom sometimes will keep up with a garden. Sometimes she just gives up on it and lets the weeds overtake it. But there are certain years where she's militant and she's going to go out and pick all the weeds. She's going to water it. She's going to make sure that all this work she's putting in, she's going to receive some sort of reward in return. And I think that's most people's approach to planting something. So whether it's planting a vine, whether it's planting green beans or peas or, or whatever it is that you like... If you take the work, you put the work in to plant something, your goal is that it would produce something else in return. You would receive fruit in return for the work that you've put in. And so again, here we see in verse 2, Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father, the vine dresser, is going to take that branch away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he's going to prune that it may bear more fruit. And so we see that the goal of him keeping up the vine is that if there's branches that are doing nothing, they're going to be taken away. They're going to be removed. And the the branches that are producing fruit, that are giving produce, he's going to prune them in order that they would continue to produce fruit and that they would continue to have more fruit come out of them. And I think we can see a pretty obvious truth here that the goal of the Christian life is that we would produce fruit for God, to honor God, to glorify God. 
Let's look at verse 3. Now Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, as I was reading this passage over and over and over again, this verse just seems so strange and so out of place. Because in verse 1 and in verse 2, he's clearly talking about this illustration of a vine and branches. And then in verse 4, again, he says, Abide in me, I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. And so it seems like you've got this vine branch imagery, a random verse, and then more vine branch imagery. And he continues. But I want us to remember who Jesus is talking with. In the beginning in chapter 13, we see that Jesus is having some very intimate conversations with his disciples leading up to his death. So from John chapter 13 up and through his his death, these are the last couple hours of Jesus' life. And so he's with his disciples in the upper room. We see this is where he washes their feet. This is where he has the, the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper with them. So he says, already, talking to his disciples, you are clean... Because of the word I have spoken to you. So I was thinking, okay, he's talking to the disciples and he's telling them, I think what he's saying is that you are believing. You are clean because of the words that I have spoken. You have believed what I have said and you are branches that are bearing fruit. But then I thought, wait a second, isn't Judas with them? But if you look back at, to the end of John chapter 13, that's when Judas, uh, Jesus says that one of you will betray me. And he calls out Judas and Judas leaves. And so at this point, when Jesus is having this conversation in John chapter 15, Judas is already gone. The one who will betray Jesus is not there when Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And so I believe that here Jesus is saying to his disciples, You all... ...are branches that are bearing fruit. And the reason is because... ...of the word that I have spoken to you. They are believing the message of Jesus. They are believing... ...that in him is forgiveness of sins... ...and in no one else. And so I think that... ...although verse 3 does seem to be random... ...and and in there, out of place... ...I think it's very fitting... When we understand the context and who he's talking to. So then he continues with divine imagery in verse 4. He says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine. So here now Jesus begins to, to take this illustration to the next step. And he says, A branch... ...cannot bear fruit by itself. So if we are are thinking along the terms of of an image here... ...you've got a, a vine with branches that are connected... ...Jesus is simply saying... ...if you take a branch, disconnect it from the vine... ...it will not bear fruit. This seems like the most self explanatory easy illustration to understand. But Jesus is obviously pointing out the obvious... He says, abide in me, I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. But then he takes it a step further and he says, neither can you unless you abide in me. So now Jesus has done, he's taken his image and he says, the branch by itself, apart from the vine, will not bear fruit. It cannot. 
says, the same with you. You, apart from me, cannot bear fruit. You can't. Then he says, in verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is a huge statement by Jesus. Jesus says, and if there's any question about his whole illustration, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So Jesus says the only one who's going to bear fruit is the one who abides in me and the one who I am abiding in also. So if you have any questions about who fruitful Christians are, fruitful Christians are those who are absolutely dependent on Jesus. They're those who are abiding in Jesus. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now I want to clarify that statement a little bit. Because I think when we read things like Jesus saying, apart from me, you can do nothing, we tend to take that to the extreme. And I've heard preachers, I've heard people say this all the time, that apart from Jesus, our lives are just going to be an ultimate wreck. Now, in one sense, that's true. In a spiritual sense, that is absolutely the truth. If we are separated from Jesus, spiritually our lives are a wreck. But typically, the way we understand Jesus saying things like this is that if we don't have Jesus, we can never be successful, we can never have money, we can never be happy, we can never have joy in life. But I want to tell you, if you read this and walk away thinking that, you're going to be greatly disturbed by what you find out in the world. Because there are so many ungodly people who have a lot of success. There are so many ungodly people that have a lot of money. There are so many ungodly people whose families are so full of joy. And they love life. And if we think that not having Jesus means that can't be possible, when we see it, we're going to begin to doubt what Jesus says. So I want us to understand that when Jesus says, apart from me you can do nothing, he's not saying in a strictly materialistic way. but he's meaning in a spiritual way. So don't think that I need Jesus in order to be successful in life. I need Jesus in order to have a successful career or in order to have a happy, healthy family. That's not necessarily the takeaway. The takeaway is if you try and live your life apart from Jesus, spiritually, you will not prosper. You will not grow. You will not know God. You will not trust God. You will not love God apart from Jesus. You cannot. This is a spiritual thing that he is talking about, okay? Not a physical. So let's not think that we'll be ultimate failures in life if we, if we are apart from Jesus. In a, mater- in a materialistic sense, that's, that's not always the case. So I don't want us to, to think that that is. But then in verse 6, we see what happens 
for those who are not abiding in Jesus. And we see what happens for those who are not bearing fruit. Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So those who do abide in Jesus will produce fruit. They will be fruitful. Now it says, verse 2, that the father, the vine dresser, is going to prune them in order that they would bear more fruit. I think this gives us the idea that it doesn't necessarily mean life is going to be perfect and easy and, and easygoing and there will never be any problems. The idea of pruning doesn't seem like a, a you know, enjoyable thing if we are being pruned. But the point is that we're going to continue to bear fruit. Whereas in verse 6, he says, If you are not abiding in me, you are thrown away like a branch and withered. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So here's what happens to those who are not abiding in Jesus. Those who are apart from Jesus, who are not bearing fruit, you're going to be thrown away. You're going to be gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. This is the fate of people who are not abiding in Jesus. And this should be a reminder of the urgency of our task to tell people about Jesus. I'm sure all of us know people who are not abiding in Jesus, who are not believing in Jesus. And we read here in John 15, verse 6, that says they're going to be gathered like dead branches and thrown into the fire and burned. Does that not light a fire in you to to evangelize people, to tell people that this is their fate unless they begin abiding in Jesus? Although he's he's giving us a a statement about what's going to happen, this should also be an encouragement to help us see the urgency of the situation. To help us see how important it is that we are are going and telling people that they need to abide in Jesus. That apart from Him, spiritually they can do nothing. They cannot be right with God apart from Jesus. They cannot please God apart from Jesus. They will be gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. One of the big things that Jesus wants us to see with this imagery, is the Christian's utter dependence on Jesus for all of our spiritual life. I think Josh says it maybe ten times in every single sermon he preaches. Life is about God. We are utterly dependent on God if we want to grow spiritually, if we want to know what the Bible says, if we want to be Uh, have an intimate relationship with God, if we want forgiveness of sins, we have to, have to, have to be right with God, and that happens through Jesus. Life is not about materialistic things. Life is not about us being here on a Sunday night to go to church because it's the right thing to do. Life is about giving our hearts to Jesus and allowing Him to abide in us so that we would abide in Him. But the second thing I want us to see is that fruitfulness, f- fruitfulness in the Christian's life is tied to prayer, interestingly enough. Look at verses 7 and 8. 
Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, this is really interesting. Jesus says, if you abide in me, and if my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That seems like a really bold proclamation by Jesus. And here's what I want us to see. It would be really easy for us to read this verse and for us to walk away and think, I can ask God anything I want. And he says it'll be done for me. But what we need to remember, what we need to keep in mind is what he says right before that. He says, if you abide in me and if my words abide in you. I think oftentimes when we pray, maybe... We're not abiding in him. Maybe his words are not abiding in us. And so the things that we're praying for are things of our own selfish desire. Things of our own selfish wants. And so when we pray for those things and we don't get the answers that we want, we're we're extremely disappointed. We think, well, God, you said I could pray for anything I want. Anything. And it hasn't happened. But here's here's why I think this is key. He says, if you abide in me, if my words abide in you. If those two things are true, if we are genuinely abiding in Jesus, we're trusting in him, we're believing in him. And if his words are abiding in us, the things we will want to ask for, are the things that God will be desiring to do anyway. And I think that's why he says, ask whatever you want. Because whatever you want is what God wants. If you are abiding in Jesus, if his words are abiding in you, the things that you want are going to be the things that he wants. Not the new 65-inch flat screen, curved LED, whatever TV... Not the big new job with the great promotion so that you can get a bigger house and and all these other things. Not just so that everybody we know who is sick will no longer be sick and they'll be healthy. Again, I I don't want to say that it's wrong to pray for those things. But if we are abiding in Jesus, if his words are abiding in us, the things we will come to him in prayer for are going to be the things that he is wanting to do Anyway, our desires and God's desires will be lined up. This is why he can say, ask anything, anything, ask it. Then verse 8 kind of helps us understand this whole idea of our fruitfulness being connected to our prayerfulness. Verse 8 says, for by this my father is glorified. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
By this, my Father is glorified. By asking anything in His name, if we're abiding in Him and if His words are abiding in us, by this, my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. The Father is glorified when we are depending on Him in prayer and producing fruit and so proving to be His disciples. It's interesting that one of the proofs of being a disciple of Jesus is the bearing of fruit. The last series that we did here on Sunday nights was the fruit of the Spirit. And we talked about each and every different fruit of the Spirit and how that manifests itself in the life of a believer. And I think this is, is connected with that. If we are seeing those fruit or those fruits manifest in our life, that is proof that we are a disciple of Jesus, that we are abiding in him, that his word is abiding in us. So as a Christian, we are completely dependent on Jesus for all things, all spiritual things. Fruitfulness in the Christian's life is tied to prayer. But then lastly, I want to answer a a big question. And that is, how does connection to Jesus make us fruitful? How does us being united with Jesus, being in him, abiding in him, how does that make us fruitful? And here's where the I am becomes essential. Because let's remember, this is not just the, the, a statement, or this is not just a series on statements that Jesus is explaining about himself. The I am statements are specific that Jesus is connecting himself with the I am of Exodus 3. When God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush and says, I am who I am. Tell Israel that I am sent you. It's important that we don't forget that connection in the I am statements. That is huge. So we can, we can read John's gospel and we can walk away from these eight verses knowing that if we're not abiding in Jesus, then we can do nothing spiritually. We will have no spiritual fruit. But yet, if we understand the I am and the connection to the Old Testament, it helps us understand so much about God. This is one of the awesome things about the New Testament, and and John in particular, is that we can read the Gospel of John and walk away with a lot of knowledge about Jesus, about God. But the more we know our Old Testament, the more we're going to see how John is, is showing us how Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament things. Things in the Old Testament that were pointing forward to the true Messiah. And here's where our call to worship comes in. And I'm glad that Joe mentioned how, how dark and, and dreary our call to worship seemed. But I, I chose that passage because it's directly related to this I am statement. So let's look back at Isaiah chapter 5. And let's read these verses. Isaiah chapter 5, it's verses 1 through 7. Isaiah prophesies and says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. 
And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not already done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste and it shall not be pruned or hoed. And briars and thorns shall grow up. I also will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. There are numerous passages in the Old Testament that refer to Israel as a vine. This is just one. But he says in verse 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the reason that it's so dark and it's so dreary is because Israel, as the vine of the Lord, has failed. They have failed to produce fruit. He says twice, Why did it yield wild grapes and not the grapes that I was expecting, not the grapes that I was hoping for? It has failed in its purpose to produce the fruit that I am requiring. And so in the Gospel of John, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, we have to be thinking, well, if he's the true vine, then there must have been a faux vine that was pointing forward to the true vine. And that fake or faux vine that failed to live up and to produce the fruit that God required was Israel. Israel was God's chosen people. Israel's goal or Israel's purpose was to produce fruit for God. And what did they do? They failed. Every time in the Old Testament where you see that the Israelites are compared to a vine, you also see in the same passage their failure to produce the fruit that God required. Here's why Jesus being the true vine is such a big deal. Because Jesus, in saying, I am, is again equating himself to the God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. He is Yahweh. And he says, I am the true vine. I am the vine that did not fail. I am the vine that did not produce the bad fruit or the wild fruit. I am the vine that has produced the good fruit that God requires. And if you abide in me, you also will produce this good fruit. And so the question, how does our connection with Jesus make us fruitful? It's because Jesus is the fulfillment of what God requires. God requires perfection. Israel failed. Jesus did not fail, but produced the good fruit fruit. We see this in the wilderness account. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their sinfulness. And yet even during those 40 years, they over and over and over again failed God, failed God, failed God, failed God. And what do we see at the beginning of Jesus's ministry? Not just that he goes out into the wilderness 
but he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So that you and I would be thinking, wait a second, Israel, the people of God, failed in the wilderness. And Jesus didn't. When Jesus says he's the true vine, it means he is the one that produces the fruit that is pleasing to God. And by being united with Jesus, by abiding in him, the fruit that he produces, which is perfect and good, is now the fruit that you produce. And if you are not abiding in Jesus, connected to Jesus, believing in Jesus, you will not produce good fruit. You will not produce fruit at all. Jesus is the fulfillment of what Israel was required to be. Israel, as God's people, failed God. But yet Jesus, who is the God of the universe, I am, is the fulfillment. He's the true vine. He didn't fail God. And for those who abide in him, the fruit that Jesus produces is the fruit that you produce because you're abiding in him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son Jesus. We thank you so much that he has produced the fruit that is required of us. We all have failed. Just as the Israelites did, so, so too we have failed. But we thank you that you sent your own son who is the I am, to produce good fruit, that those who believe in him are abiding in him, and the fruit that Jesus produces is now the fruit that they produce. God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace that is shown to us in your son, Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.